devotion. We're in Mark chapter 15, which means, Lord willing, tomorrow we will conclude the Gospel of Mark, and Friday we'll begin our study of Acts, which is the last full book we have to go through in order to complete our study of the entire New Testament. I've started. Nevertheless, here we are, Mark 15. We're looking at the cross. Here Jesus dies. It begins with Jesus being presented to Pilate. Remember that Jesus is, is accused of the capital crime under Jewish law. Um, the capital crime uh, w- that was committed was blasphemy. He claimed to be the divine Son of God. Remember, that's the issue. Very first verse, this is the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And so, in specific moments, we are told um, that Jesus is the Son of Man, the King of the Jews, the Son of David, and the Son of God. So he, he, he claims divinity in chapter 14, and thus is handed over to Pilate. Here we see him before Pilate. Uh, there at the end of verse 1, they bound Jesus, led him away, delivered him over to Pilate, and Pilate asked him, Are you the King of the Jews? And that's the most important question for Pilate. Do you claim to be a king? Pilate really has one job, that is to keep the peace, um, and when you keep the peace, you bring in taxes. I mean, that's, that's, that's basically it. Um, and so when he hears talk of a king, what he hears is insurrection. What he hears is violence. And, and so he has to put this down. And if this man claims to be a king, then he must crucify him. Well, um, then skipping down to verse 6, uh, Pilate knows Jesus um, isn't as dangerous as the religious elites are making them out to be. So at the feast, it says there, he used to release for them one prisoner for whom they asked. Among the rebels in prison who had committed murder in the insurrection, there was a man called Barabbas. Uh, And the crowd came up again to ask Pilate to do as he usually did for them. And he answered them, Do you want me to release for you the king of the Jews? For he perceived do to the man you call the king of the Jews and they cried out again crucify him and Pilate said to them why what evil has he done but they shouted all the more crucify him so Pilate wishing to satisfy the crowd released for them Barabbas and having uh, scourged Jesus uh, he delivered him to be crucified now we've we've looked at this passage from Matthew's lens and Luke's lens Uh, I don't think John really has this this part of the story so I don't want to spend forever on it just a couple things to note one is the gospel writers are sensitive to the fact that they want you to believe in one that was crucified as a criminal under Roman rule Um, and particularly Jews had a hard time with this because Galatians. You can go back to our study of Galatians to see our discussion of that. In fact, I think this is what Matthew's doing in his gospel. ...of Matthew for that. But, but as any politician would do, uh, Pilate tries to get uh, weasel his way out of it uh, so he can put the blame on the people and therefore... Um, stay out of trouble. Pilate is is on about a two strike count right now. Uh, he he has stirred up the crowd enough, and he knows that uh, if he were to make another big mistake, it'll cost him, and it eventually will cost him. He will eventually be be let go, kind of has a tragic death, so on and so forth. But 
And, and notice here that Pilate thinks that by letting go their king, they will choose the side of Jesus. But um, because of the work of the religious elites, they choose Barabbas. Now, we've talked about Barabbas in some detail before. Barabbas, I believe, is an insurrectionist. I don't know if he is a, officially a zealot, but uh, the if you put all the evidence from the gospel, on the cross next to Jesus were part of that. Barabbas was the ringleader, which is why Barabbas was given the central cross. Jesus literally pays for the crime. To go to be set free? No. But Jesus comes down to set us free very much the same way. We don't deserve redemption. We don't deserve Liberation. We don't deserve salvation. Yet Christ suffers in our place and for our sins. And so the end of verse 15 is the gospel in a nutshell when Pilate delivered him to be crucified. Well, you'll notice there that the uh, process of crucifixion begins with mockery. Uh, so you, you get there, verse 18, they began to salute him, Hail, King of the Jews. Notice that that Yes, Jesus is the king of the Jews. He is the son of man. He, he is the son of David. All of those titles are true, but they do not recognize him as the son of God. So this, this king of the Jews is a, a term of mockery, not a term of worship. Uh, and, and that's, that's going to turn on its head here in a little bit. Verse 21, they compelled a passerby, Simon of Cyrene, who was coming in from the country, the father of Alexander and Rufus, to carry his cross. Now, it's interesting here. I believe, maybe Matthew says his name, but I think Mark is the only one, unless Matthew does it too, that gives us his actual name. And so, again, we're asking, why give us this name? He shows up, helps Jesus, and he leaves. And do we really need to know this name? Even more than that, do we need to know who his two sons are? It's the father of Alexander and Rufus. Now, it's odd, isn't it? Why the detail? We saw the same thing with um, Simon the leper in, in chapter 14. Uh, we saw the same thing with blind Bartimaeus. Uh, I believe that was chapter 11, chapter 10, chapter 11. Uh, I think it's chapter 10. that Mark is writing this gospel from the witnesses he personally knew or met with or talked with or got information from. I think that's why we have blind Bartimaeus and Simon the leper. Um, I think we'll have a few this when we were Romans 16, but if you were to turn to Romans 16, Paul's going through his greetings. Say hi to so-and-so, greet so-and-so. Um, and, and it's interesting language, because there's only two Rufuses mentioned in the New Testament here in Mark in the church of Rome uh, is getting a shout out here as an Easter egg that Mark is saying this is Simon of Cyrene 
his two boys are in the church. You know them. And his mother, uh, we don't know where Alexander is, could be in another city for all in all, I just don't know. Um, or be back in Cyrene, I don't know. Um, but greet Rufus and And his his mother so very well could be uh, the same person if so can you imagine um, when when the readers the first readers of Mark in Rome read this uh, Rufus would stand up and say that's my dad my dad was literally the first person to pick up his cross and to follow Jesus and that's what we're all here to do now it's a fascinating fascinating story but nevertheless uh, he, he helps Jesus to uh, Calvary, verse 25, it was the third hour when they crucified him. That is 9 o'clock in the morning. Um, the first hour is 6. Uh, our day started at midnight. I don't know why. Uh, their start at 6 makes a little more sense because that, that's when the work day starts. So the third hour from is is 9 o'clock. So Jesus is going to be on the cross from 9 to noon or darkness from 9 to noon. That's where we get the phrase darkness at noon. Uh, description of the charge against him read the king of the Jews. So you see Mark's emphasis here. Um, and with him, they crucified two robbers, one on his right and one on his left. Again, those are connected with Barabbas. Those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads, saying, Aha, you who would destroy the temple, rebuild it in three days. Save yourself and come down from the cross. So also the chief priests with the scribes mocked him to one another, saying, He saved others, he cannot save himself. Let the Christ, the King of Israel, come down now from the cross that we may see and believe. The irony here is quite rich. One, their claim, if he comes down from the cross, we'll believe, is false because Jesus has performed all kinds of miracles in their presence they still do not believe. Furthermore, um, what we see here is the irony of their mocking. So they, they mock him as the king of the Jews. Upon his resurrection, he will demonstrate he is indeed the king of the Jews as the son of David, the son of God. Furthermore, what they mock him about is ironic. When he say, he who said he would destroy the temple in three days. Let's see you come down from the cross. What is Jesus about to do? John is helpful here. Is in three days, he will rise again. And in that process, the temple itself, the, we'll see later down, the, 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 the curtain will rip and all this other stuff. And Jesus had predicted the ultimate destruction of the temple, which will come under the hand of the Romans. And then there is, he saved others, but he cannot save himself. That is the central message of the cross, isn't it? Jesus doesn't save others so that he can save. He doesn't save himself so that he can save others. That's the good news of, of the gospel. Had Jesus saved himself, we would not be saved today. Well, um, verse 33, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. That's three hours, so from nine to noon. Um, so this is, uh, the, the prophets talk about this, right? Darkness is always associated with judgment, uh, going all the way back to Egypt and, and, and many other passages. Verse 37, Jesus uttered a loud cry, breathed his last. The curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. Thus, God no longer dwelt behind a, a curtain, but rather dwells in the heart of man. Uh, and when the centurion who stood facing... This is one of the most important verses in all the Gospel of Mark. When the centurion who stood facing him... Now remember, this guy would have been involved in the mockery. Jesus is all alone, at least it seems initially, all alone here. 
He was involved, but now, after he sees the way Jesus dies, which becomes the, the model for the early church, if they lived their life, and even more, if they died in such a way that was faithful to the cross, there would be conversions. And there's countless stories like that. Read any book about Christian martyrs, and you'll find, particularly among the early church, the way in which they endured suffering was itself a testimony. The word martyr comes from the Greek word meaning to bear witness, to testify. And so this is why Christians define what martyrdom is and not Muslims now. They're not martyrs. They're suicide bombers. So when a Christian suffered persecution, when they were bearing testimony to their faith in Christ, and they, 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 they counted a joy to be found worthy to suffer as Christ did. So the centurion is seeing the way Jesus suffers and out of that comes his, his faith. And what does he say there? Truly this man was the Son of God. And remember, the very first verse of this book, this is the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And so far, no one has been willing to profess that Jesus is the Son of God. The demonized did. But here's the first human. They've called him the king of the Jews, and he is. The son of man, Jesus called himself that, and he is. The son of David, and he is. But here we have on the lips of a human, proclaiming what we've known all along, and what everything has shown, including and especially the cross. Jesus is the son of God. However you notice, he says he was the son of God. That makes sense to a Roman. But the next chapter, chapter 16 of the resurrection, demonstrates that Jesus is the Son of God. One last point regarding his burial. A couple things. One, all four Gospels mention Joseph of Arimathea. I believe he's an eyewitness. I believe he played an important role, whatever that may look like in the early church. He's in all four Gospels. Um, verse 44, Pilate was surprised to hear that he should have already died. Um, crucifixion usually lasted for hours. Um, Jesus only suffered for three. Summoning the centurion, he asked him whether he was already dead. When he learned from the centurion he was dead, he granted the corpse of Joseph. I want you to notice there, what is Mark trying to get across? Jesus was dead. What you have here is multiple people seeing that Jesus is dead. The centurion claiming he is dead. Everyone present claiming he is dead. Pilate verifying that he is dead. Um, everyone is saying that Jesus is dead. So any claim that Jesus simply walked out of the, the empty tomb is false. Even if Jesus did do that, or, you know, even if you take away this, let's think about the logic of it. Do you really believe someone who has suffered the sort of persecution and abuse that Jesus has is going to wake up three days later in the dark, find his way out? Don't forget, he's got a giant rock in his way, going to throw down with two uh, trained Roman soldiers and, and, and walk out and acting like he was a brand new person with no scars or no ailments or anything. No, it's, 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 it's ridiculous. But Mark wants the reader to know Jesus was dead. And of course, um, there among him were um, the women who come up to minister to him. So we get that verse 47. Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of Joseph, saw where he was laid. So not only is there verification he was dead, there is verification of where he was buried. Which means when they found the empty tomb, it's not because they went to the wrong burial spot, which is an insult to any mother, frankly. But they knew exactly where he was. So this is Mark building up the case. He is dead. They buried him. And in the next chapter, what is it they find? He's alive. Which we'll see tomorrow. Hope to see you all then.